Howdy. Episode 28 of the Rollin' Ramblin' Podcast. I got my cup of tea. I'm sitting here hanging out. Thinking about what to talk about. You'd be like, oh, you should have planned that out before you started the podcast and hit the button. Truth is, I've deleted the content I talked about a few minutes ago, and I'm re-recording it, interestingly enough, because I want this to feel different for me, because I know that it'll feel different for you. I tend to, as a human being, always, and I've spoken about this before on previous episodes, I know, because I can sort of feel myself having deja vu even talking about this part is that I always wrap my life in lessons, you know, I always try and fix things with the way I process thought or is there a lesson to learn or something I can improve on. For instance, you'll notice this now and possibly because I mentioned it, you might you might even notice it more. But Toastmasters talks about crutch words. A lot of people have ums and ahs. Mine used to be so. So I would start a sentence with so, just like I did there. But lately I've noticed I say like a lot. Like, and again, because I mentioned it there, I just about started a sentence with it or did start a sentence with it. And it's important for me to improve as a speaker all the time, but it's it's so important to be able to tell a story within the time I allot on these episodes. And so I have a funny one for you today. I Anybody that doesn't know me should know that I'm a giant wrestling fan. Like I have Funko Pops, those big-headed dolls of I have a couple John Cena ones. I have a Vince McMahon one. I have a Jake the Snake one. I, I've loved wrestling since I was a kid. WWE used to be WWF. And there was WCW in between there. There was a big war. I always bring up the new war, the war between the brands because Hogan jumped ship in the 90s and then in the late 90s, like 1996, he joined forces with the Outsiders, which were Kevin Nash and Scott Hall, and they formed the New World Order of Wrestling, the NWO, and so that's been big in the news. So this New World New World Order is happening, and I said, well, Hogan's been doing that since 1996. It was a real interesting time because it kind of took the character gimmicky cartooniness out of the WWF because WCW wasn't doing that. And it made it more realistic and we connect with people on a different level now. You can connect with your superstars and you see their life and then you get to you get to have a have a glimpse into that lifestyle. And yet whenever I watch it, I still suspend reality. Just like movies and things like that. So I hope to bring that to you with something like this. But I thought it was interesting, you know, we're always looking at ways to reinvent the wheel a lot of times. A lot of the books that I re- read as far as the self-help that I've been air-quoting, 
you know, they, I'm saying, you know, all the time. So I don't know. That's, that's a, that's a Bret Hartism. So maybe because I'm talking about, about wrestling, I'm, I'm channeling my inner Bret Hart. When I look at the books that I, I typically am interested in, and a lot of the same info is just recycled and used in a different way, and it's there's still value. And the funny part about that is, is that it is very similar to how wrestling works. I mean, and movies work the same way too. I mean, realistically, any action movie is still the basic premise, but, but. Wrestling oftentimes recycles a lot of different different topics. And one of the things that I always found interesting was the way they find a way to to recycle the topic and still make it entertaining. Like I always am I always am interested in in things that are a little bit more realistic, but I understand wrestling has like a outlandish attachment to it. You know, there's got to be different things, but I have to tell you, you know, when I did it again, I, when I think back to my childhood and I think back to Ultimate Warrior and Hulk Hogan facing off at WrestleMania six, the the pump that I had as a kid, like just being so fired up about it, and it wasn't even that I could watch it on pay-per-view at the time or anything like that. I had to wait till it came out on VHS and then, uh, you know, rent it. But anyway, uh, there was a big epic war. And then in the nineties, fast forward again to when Hogan is a bad guy with NWO and a heel, as they call it in the business. There's my smart Mark dorkiness. Uh, there was a moment where Hulk Hogan was supposed to blind the ultimate warrior with, with fire. So they use this flash paper and a big fireball and it's supposed to be close to his face and it looked like he blinded him. And then that's how he was sort of supposed to win the match because he blinded the Ultimate Warrior. Well, you can you can YouTube, you can Google it. It's the funniest thing on the planet. It's probably legitimately one of the worst matches not only in WW, WCW history, but it's probably, I think, the worst match in like wrestling altogether. Like, it just sucked. I mean, the first one was was cool because it was like in WWF and it was in the 90s and, or 80s and no one sort of cared about wrestling as much in terms of like the technique and how how good it looked and whether they were clunky big dudes it just was different it was different energy but anyway this one in the 90s the flash paper was so far away from the ultimate warrior's face there's absolutely no way it could have again air quoting the crap out of my fingers today blinded him and 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 then I was like, well, it's fire, and you're trying to blind a guy. So then he comes back in like a week or two weeks, and now he's not blinded, or maybe he's got a patch on or whatever. And sometimes, I mean, wrestlers need that so they can pull him out of the storyline and have, like, have a vacation or whatever. That's usually what they use that kind of stuff for. But on Monday when I was watching, Randy Orton, who is a... Pretty well-known superstar, I think, realistically, is probably one of the best wrestlers around right now. And he lit somebody on fire back in the last pay-per-view. 
uh, Bray Wyatt, the Fiend, he lit him on fire in an Inferno match. And Bray Wyatt has a sort of uh, person with him now called Alexa Bliss, who actually, in her own right, before the sort of character change to a a heel, she's a really, really good wrestler, and she's now sort of a uh, Harley Quinn-type character in wrestling. And she ended up in the ring during one of Randy Orton's matches and shot, like, this this sort of Roman candle-looking fireball at Randy Orton's face, and then they ended the show with him writhing all over the ground. And... The first thing I thought of was uh, the good old fireball or the good old blinding someone with fire in, in wrestling. And I just thought it was hilarious. I like the fact that there's some predictability with wrestling. I read somewhere that like people with anxiety often won't watch the same movies over and over again because they know what's going to happen, so it decreases anxiety for them. I like watching the same movies over and over again because they're dumbass rads like the movies that I watch and enjoy quite a bit are really sort of lame martial arts full of testosterone no real great story the hero kills them all in the end kind of Sylvester Stallone Rocky Rambo Terminator kind of stuff I, I like that type of stuff I really enjoy believe it or not the cheesy martial arts movies from the 80s and 90s like Van Damme uh, and I practice Aikido as somebody in a wheelchair, and I've talked about that before, but even before I started practicing Aikido, and I didn't know really that that's what Steven Seagal did, or maybe I didn't have a context, but I ended up doing Aikido because it's actually the best martial art for someone in a wheelchair because it's mostly upper body, and you can do a lot. If you can get out of the chair and sort of move around on your knees a bit, you can do quite a bit. You can do almost everything in some sort of adaptive way. But I would watch like Under Siege and Under Siege 2 and all those things. And I think that sort of came from like my love of wrestling as a young boy and just wanting to beat the crap out of each other all the time. The funny part is if you see my photo that I have, my sweet mullet, uh, you know, when I when you look at the, the podcast, you look at it and you think, who's that handsome man in the in the blue track pants with the sweet sort of squared off mullet. Well, that's me at like nine and behind me in a pink shirt. I can't remember the other kid's name. I'll have to ask my friend Ken, but my friend Ken sent me that photo and I just decided to use it for my podcast. That's him. He's always um, been a big fella. Even when he was a kid, he was always bigger than me. And I was super tiny as you can see, but that didn't stop us from like, pretty much almost breaking each other's arms and things in his front yard or backyard or in the living room or when he came over to my place or whatever. And wrestling had a really big influence on that. And he could, he always could pick me up. Like, like he always was able to pick me up and slam me and slam me on my fingers and just different things. And he's an only child and I had sisters. So you can't go around scrapping with your sisters. Like I hear about, you know, brothers as as they get older, all you ever hear about is brothers sort of kicking each other's ass and smashing each other in the head. Like my one of my sisters, her her step boys are are I think seventeen, fourteen, and 
11, if I got that right. And they've grown up a bit now, so they don't sort of beat each other and, like, kick each other in the head and all that stuff anymore. But, like, when they were a couple years younger, that's all they ever did is just they're always constantly, like, somebody's bleeding or getting getting smacked or whatever. But for me, I didn't have that. So I had Ken. And Ken and I used to have, like, these massive wrestling matches. And I would sucker punch him like crazy when when we were kids all the time and his his dad to his credit was always on my case about you know not instigating and like everybody would always want to blame ken for all this stuff because i'm the little kid in a wheelchair like why is somebody picking on somebody in a wheelchair and he his his dad would would often come in and tell us you know, stop horsing around or whatever, and and all those things. Even into our teens and into high school, he did a lot of that. Uh, and we just were always sort of physical, and I think that was a way for him to to have somebody to to slap around and do a lot of stuff. And it honestly made me tougher. I think it's the why I can deal with a lot of different things. And then, of course, our connection is not only wrestling, but it's those cheesy martial arts '80s movies and things. And we still, like, it, like I mean, Arnold Schwarzenegger is, what, like, in his 70s, and so is Stallone. But anytime, when Rambo came out, and when, and when, like, Terminator came out, like, the first person I call is Ken to go watch them in the theater. Like, it's just, that's just what we do. And I always find that interesting because I was speaking of this recently with another friend that that I, I didn't really ever get treated as somebody different because I was in a wheelchair by anybody in high school. And I think that that honestly helped me adapt a little bit to to the way things are in, in life a little bit more. I think that's why I don't really join a lot of advocacy type stuff and, and protests and things like that in terms of her accessibility. I mean, I tried that. I tried my hand in that when I was an accessibility consultant about five, six years ago and really thought I was going to change the world, change the way that small business did did accessibility and, and make it more affordable and and then they could promote themselves as an accessible business and, you know, suggest all these renovations in my report. Everyone would pay me, but nobody did anything, so I just sort of skipped that part. But I, I often reflect now and think the reason I can roll off that and be okay with not getting involved and getting so upset with that kind of stuff is because I always was very involved in in just being treated normally by my friends. I mean, I drive with hand controls, but I race. Uh, you know, I've always been into burnouts and hot rods and goofing around safely for anybody that, you know, is wondering or listening or if there's any sort of legal obligation to mention that, of course, I never broke any laws ever driving a vehicle. And I'm always as safe as possible. But wrestling with Ken and goofing around with buddies, even, you know, getting, you know, slapping, you know, dudes always get into scuffles at school and people would just push my chair around. Sometimes they'd tip me over and like a lot of that stuff. And I feel like I feel very blessed that I have that and I have those memories because I... 
I wouldn't be who I am without that stuff. And I'm going to close this out in the next three minutes with the coolest story ever. Ken and I were around that age that's in the photo. And Weir's Beach is a beach that uh, sort of uh, people camp at and, and you can go visit. And, and my parents used to go camp there and, and my grandparents used to have a trailer, you know, there all summer. And that's where they would camp and you'd go visit about half an hour, 45 minutes from my my house. I guess probably 45, maybe an hour from where I am, probably 35 minutes from where I grew up, the house that my parents still live in. And I was there with Ken we played on the played in the sand all day. I would get out of the chair and crawl around and, and whatever. And Ken was out there with us. It was just on a weekend, and and I said, oh yeah, I just I so my mom cleaned me up. I had a shower and stuff, and and I said, I, he's like, let's go down to the beach. And I said, number one, I can't go down to the beach. I'll get all sand. He's like, got a blanket, no big deal. I said okay. And and I said, but we can't get over the logs. There's a bunch of logs. And things, and we're like eight or nine, right? So I think probably eight. And there's a bunch of logs, and I says, We can't get down. And he's like, I'll get you down. And he proceeds to like pull me over the logs, just like four by four and forward down, like basically tree trunk kind of logs, or at least they felt that way when I was a kid. They were they were quite big, those those logs that he got me over. Got me down on the sand, we put a Blanket down, I get down on the blanket. He says I can bury him in the sand. So I bury him in the sand. I was like, oh, it's pretty cool. You know, whatever. Burying him in the sand. And I'll remember this as clear as day because it was, we were allowed to go down to the beach while we're waiting for my my parents to pack, a, pack up and take us kind of home. And so we're there by ourselves on the beach. Nobody's Nobody's there. At least it seemed like no one was there. I'm burying him. I'm having a great time little tiny kid in a wheelchair and he's like and Ken just says are you having fun and I said yeah actually I am like I remember like feeling sort of elated that I was getting to bury him sort of getting the upper hand finally out of all the wrestling matches we seem to have and and he just bursts out of the hole like some sort of superhero <laughs> throws the blanket over my head and puts me in the, the hole in the sand upside down with a blanket over my head and starts burying me. And there's not a thing I can do about it at all. And and somebody, I don't know who this hero was, but yells down the beach and says, hey, you're going to kill that kid. And then Ken luckily stops and pulls me out and we sort of go on our merry way. I think my parents might have come down and, and help us, but... I told that story at Ken's wedding. And I was, well, you know, in the wedding party, and I told that story about him burying me, and everybody sort of cracked up because we've been friends now for like thirty-one years, right? Um, but at that time, I think it was, you know, I think he's been married for a few years. So I think it might have been twenty-five years that we'd been friends at the time. Cause I think his wedding was in two thousand and twelve, or yeah, two thousand twelve. I should know that. Anyway, um, and he told me more to the story that he remembered, which was. Apparently, when he was pulling me forward over the logs, like I basically just about bailed in the wheelchair. And I just think, like, those are memories, right? You know, and think about what you would think if you were the other person on the edge of the beach, just, just like seeing somebody in a wheelchair get basically 
accosted by a much larger kid. Blanket over the head, upside down in a hole, and just furiously buried with your, with his hands until someone screams out, you're going to kill that kid. And, like, that's one of our best memories. We still talk about that to this day. We bring it up every once in a while, and there's so many others that I'm going to probably share in the next little while because I really just want this to be something that I, I think about more. Like, as you get older... You know, you talk to a lot of older people and they always talk about, you know, the memories or when they did this or that. It's always stories. Always great stories. And you're, you think when you're a kid, you're like, man, I'm just not going to have, you know, when you're a little kid, you're like, oh, God, here's another story. Same story over and over again. Then you get a little bit older and you're like, man, I just don't have those kind of stories. But then when you get to be like, you know, sort of late 20s, early 30s mid to late 30s like I am now, 38, you start to understand why everybody sits around and tells those stories and has those stories. Like, there's some of the greatest memories I have, not just the story itself, but sitting down and telling other people that story is some of the most fun that I have, connecting with my dad and my mom and Ken's parents and all those people at Ken's wedding when I got to tell the story. Now, anybody that's listening here you know, I get to I get to sort of relive those moments and smile my ass off. And like, there's always stuff like that. There's always things that happen with friends that you're like, oh my god, I can't believe that happened. And there's lots of times where I, like I was super mad in the moment, you know, and I wanted to kill someone and never be friends again and all that stuff. But like now we just look back at that stuff and we both just crack up. Because we're just idiot kids. Especially like him, you know, at, at eight trying to, trying to like sort of, you know, unintentionally murder me. And then, of course, that all carried through. There was a bunch of different episodes of that all the way until, you know, like recently. Just because we haven't hung out in a long time because of COVID. But there, you know, there's been times when you're just, you know, I was I was visiting at a house and I, I ended up bailing a wheelchair and, I, and he's like, something like this always happens when you hang out. And it does. And that's what's wicked. And like, it's not just him that that happens to, but there's always something stupid that happens with my cool friends. And the, like, that's just, it's just fun. Like those things are fun. They're fun, fun, fun times. And obviously they're sort of surrounded in violence and roughhousing and things. But we're dudes. That's what we do. So, anyway, I went a bit over my 15, 20 minutes today, but I hope you got some value out of it, me talking about my childhood memories, and thanks so much for tuning in, and just, you know, share your stories with me, whether it be social media or through email, steve at stevebertram.ca, wherever you want to find me, you know, our motivation on Twitter, any of those, like, where wherever you can, just, just share something cool with me, because I want to know what people remember about certain things. Cool. Love you. Bye.